0: Welcome to the Contrast Church podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. Continuing our series on Slowdown, my name is Trey Gilmore, I get to be the pastor here. And I've been slowing down too much. I've been talking the last few weeks in my sermons way too long. So I'm going to skip a little bit of my intro. But I want to tell you shamelessly that I tried to get us a sloth. And uh, I tried to get us one, and it was $1,200. So we didn't do it. Uh, I even had Hannah try to pull some strings for the nonprofit. It was still $800. So uh, we're taking a collection for the sloth fund. I'm just kidding. Uh, but that is our series. If you think about a sloth, what do you think about? Man, this thing is kind of lame and a joke, honestly. Uh, but God created it for a purpose, and we can we have a lot to learn from sloths. And so today we're continuing our series on Slow Down. The first week we talked about uh, really just the foundation of why we're doing this, and it's the fact that hurry and love are incompatible. It's impossible to love people when you're in a hurry. When you're in a hurry mentally, when you're in a hurry financially, when you're in a hurry time-wise, right? It is impossible, and the way of Jesus is not hurried. Now, it doesn't mean he's not full, he's not a bum, he doesn't just not do things, but that he is never hurried, his heart is never ahead of where he's going. And for us, in the Western Church in America, in 2023, and really probably the last 30 years, this has been a, a epidemic that we don't really acknowledge the severity of. Or if we do, we try our little things We get sucked right back in, right, because we all have phones, and they will suck us right back in as quickly as we get out. So today we're focusing on something a little bit different, a little bit more nuanced than hurry in terms of time. Um, And we're talking about an idea of influence. We're talking about how you can actually be hurried in the achievement and legacy and popularity and even spectacle that is your life. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, I think everybody likes to have influence whether they steward it well or not, I think it's pretty cool. Like, if you, you might not be like, yes, I'd love to be an influencer right now, like on social media, but at the end of the day, you're like, you kind of respect, like, wow, they got like 50,000 people to follow them or 500,000 people watch their videos, right? And it has become this just, I mean, there's kids that are 10 or 11 that when they grow up, they want to be an influencer, right? Back in the day, it was like, I want to be a famous baseball player or a firefighter. And now it's like, I want to make YouTube videos, right? Where have we gone? But neither here nor there, we like influence, right? And some of us, it's more subtle than others. Like if we think about, man, I don't think of myself as a super influential person. Like I'm not walking into a room telling everybody what to do. But we, we grab these insidious, small, deeply seated moments where we desire influence. And it can feel like so quickly that even though we don't want to be the president of the United States, we want to be the president over a few people in our lives, or on our in our job, or in our neighborhood, or in our family, or in our relationships. And we, we take these small uh, uh, actions that don't look terrible, but are rooted in insecurity and wanting to possess or have power of. And so an example of this um, is you might serve someone. You might do a good thing, right? You might uh, help someone do something, but... In turn, you're either getting something from them or you're hoping and expecting something in return, right? And this is how we think. We think transactionally. Um, It's very rare for someone to just give you something selflessly. In fact, I was reading some some books and things about uh, influence, and this is a very popular selling genre right now, is leadership and influence. Um, And so if you read people like Simon Sinek or... Um, there's uh, there's like a bunch of these books that are just all about habits, right? Or, or or being efficient with your time or maximizing, right? The 5 a.m. club, right? The key is just getting up earlier, guys, if you're wondering, you know? Just wake up before the sun gets up and you'll beat the sun, right? You're just, you're right? You can go to bed at 6 p.m. But for those of you who can't do that, right? Um, or you're like, that's ridiculous. Uh, you still feel this, almost, I feel this like guilt. Like, man, I'm like wasting my time. Or... I could be doing so much more, or I could have so many more habits. Uh, and if you're type, I'm type A, if you're type B, you, you're even farther down. You're like, not only am I guilty, this will never happen. Like, I don't even know what 5 a.m. is, right? And we, but we deal with this in the world that we, we sort of have this, like, belief, whether we like it or not, that there's this, like, prototypical American person that is awesome. And they typically do wake up at 5 a.m. And they can do, like, 400 things in a day. And eventually, if they're not already, they're leading their company, right? And they will lead all these people and make all them read these leadership books. And they will all wake up at 5 a.m., right? And before we know it, we'll change the world, right? And it sounds silly when we think about it. And there are people who do that. and It's not a bad thing. But for many of us, we feel like, okay, that's great. But how does that bleed into following Jesus, right? Because there's the world and then there's Jesus And the kingdoms are very different. Now, sometimes they overlap, just like how people can be philanthropic and not be Christians, right? They can give away a lot of their money or give away their time, and that's great. But they're not Christians. So what does that mean in light of all this? So today we're talking about this this plague of influence in such a way that it erodes our security in following Jesus. Influence itself isn't a bad thing. Like, if you're influential, it's not like, well, you must have been a terrible person to get there, right? But a lot of times we do compromise a lot of things in our lives, we talked to you last week about this guy named Henry Noun, and um, he's been a really good uh, example of, I think, someone who was, was running in the machine that is achievement and power and influence and success, teaching in Ivy League schools, all of them basically, and then leaving them to go work in a special needs, mentally handicapped home in Toronto uh, for the last basically decade of his life. And you think, man, at that age, like you can, you can maximize... You are, like, so smart. You know all that stuff. You've had age and wisdom. You should be able to maximize that. I write tons of books and all this. And he writes books, but they're not the ones you think of. They're not the ones think about, here's how to be amazing and to, like, work at Harvard or Yale, right? And so he writes this book, a tiny little book called In the Name of Jesus, and it's about leadership. Now, you'll open up the table of contents, and you'll be like, this is not a book about leadership. It is not, like, here's four steps to, like, work the room, and here's ten people not to hire, and here's five things to, like, hide your weaknesses as a leader, right? It's none of that. It's three, basically, chapters or sections, and it's from relevance to prayer, from popularity to ministry, and from leading to being led. So I just would love it, like, hey, you want to be a greater leader? Here's a book on how to be led. You're like, no, 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 I need a book on how to lead. You're like, yeah, here you go, being led, right? It doesn't make any sense, but Henry Naun is onto something and what he does in each chapter is he talks about a core temptation that we as humans are guilty in embracing which is either to be relevant to be spectacular or to be powerful or influential now, I don't know about you, I would say yes to all three of those. Like, I'm like, yep, I get them, I see it in my life. Maybe you have one that you wrestle more with than others, or maybe you're like, I'm not really sure, maybe yours are a little more just subtle and not as noticeable, right? Maybe there's someone in your life that you're really trying to impress, but you're not like this person who walks in a room and tries to impress everyone. But at the end of the day, we all have these little things that we want to put into our lives that make us appear better than we probably really are, Right? Making us feel significant, and all of these things are typically high-paced. They're quick. They're rapid. They're dynamic. They're sexy, right? But prayer, ministry, and being led—like those are not like those aren't best-selling. Like, you want to be great? Oh yeah. Why don't you pray more, be in ministry, and uh, and be led? That's a recipe for success. No, that doesn't sell books. And and Henry Nunn writes uh, this question that centers around this whole idea, and I I love this question. I've been wrestling with it. And it's not even the question that I can answer, but I want to be able to answer correctly in the future. And the question is, did becoming older bring me closer to Jesus? Did becoming older bring me closer to Jesus? He reflects on that as later in his life as he is older. And I think about that as a young person today. Will I be able to answer that question, yes, in two years, five years, 25 years, Lord willing, 50 years, right? Will I be able to answer that question? Because a lot of people want to answer the question, not, not um, did, I be, did becoming older bring me closer to Jesus? Did becoming older make me more money? Did becoming older help me to make less dumb decisions? Did becoming older, right, we can fill in all these things. And, and I, ask, I ask you, like, do you think you're living in such a way that becoming older will bring you closer to Jesus? Because the goal, right, over life is we, we do become more spiritually mature. We become more formed in the image of Christ. I think it's a fair question to ask now, what's funny is a lot of us would say, yeah, yeah, in 50 years, I think I'll get there. But right now, you know, I'm just on the journey. I'm on the ladder. But the steps that you're climbing on the ladder are forsaking the exact journey and arrival that you want to be at. Meaning, like, this is the most common one I hear. I've heard this dozens of times from lots of workaholic dads, specifically, uh, is... I want to be a great dad, so I'm going to work 60 hours a week, and I'm going to be—I'm going to grind right now, so that in 10 or 15 years I can retire, and then I'll be the greatest dad ever. I'll be around all the time, we can go vacation all the time, I pay for my kids' college—like I'll be the best dad ever. And every time, I'm just in my head, I'm like, yes. If your kids are around and want to talk to you, <laughs> now I don't know about you, but if you had a kid and you said, "I'm just not going to be around the first 10 years of their life," good luck, right? Like, it, you, you've just, you've, the vision that you had for being a great dad, you've forsaked for 10 years, right, to get to somewhere that you might not even reach. Maybe in 10 years, you realize you're addicted to work and you actually can't retire, or you retire and you work at Lowe's 60 hours a week, right? Or in 10 years, you're divorced, and you're, your wife has the kids, and they live across the country, right? Or in 10 years, you die, right, before you're about to retire, right? Life is not given, we don't act like that, but It is. Not always given. Every breath is a gift. Every day is a gift. So for us, I ask myself, like Trey, personally, like, is today and tomorrow and this week, am I living towards that in my life? Full disclosure, for many of you, I'm not trying to brag, but I hit my dreams in my mid-20s. I just did. I got to plant a church. Thank you for being here. (laughs) You helped assist in my dreams. Uh, And I married an amazing woman, and I have... Currently, two healthy girls. Like I'm in it, right? I did it. What do I do now? Do I build a bigger church? Do I plant more churches? Do I mentor people in planting churches? Do I go and start a business that'll make more money? Do I start counseling people? Do what do I do? What my dream's over? Is it right? And what I've realized is the Lord was generous in giving me this so early. A lot of us scrape for it for years, but. What I realized is actually I you're gonna laugh don't laugh but you're gonna laugh is I've peaked. Like (laughs) you're like no you haven't you're so dumb shut up. Uh, I feel this I feel this in basketball uh, where I like used to be like nah I'm not a stretch guy like I'll just go out and play right soccer ultimate frisbee tennis golf hiking whatever I don't stretch I never have I never will I pay for that now that's like four Advil later I'm like I should have stretched right. Uh, So not only physically am I starting to lose it. Uh, my spine's all messed up. My posture's terrible. All that, but um, I, I, like, I have less bandwidth than I did in, like, without kids, right? And my kids are amazing, and they're not going anywhere, right, for a while. <laughs> may have more kids. May adopt. May foster. Who knows, right? Uh, and so my, my brain is just like less able to run after my 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 occupation or vocation, right? Like I am the le- I'm a less good pastor in that way. But what that means is then I've realized is I've been calculating what, I, what, what influence and all that kind of stuff. The drug of that that I've been per, per, pursuing is just like it's done. I'm done with it. Like I'm just, I got what I wanted and what I wanted was great. But what I really want is to be an amazing follower of Jesus who loves his family and his people and shepherds the people, whoever's in front of him, however many, really, really well. And I want to do that for the long haul, and I want to do it in such a way that I actually do less impressive things and I do more deep things. And more deep things oftentimes aren't noticed. And oftentimes people don't even really realize it. Like nobody, nobody is like, oh my gosh, you counseled me and I'm still a mess. Let me go tell everyone how great you are. You know what I mean? You don't get accolades for that. But that's that's what I want. That's what my heart wants. And so for you, maybe you're navigating through this like you've just felt insecure. You're trying to put your identity in your job or you're trying to put your identity in your relationships or you're trying to hang out with the right people to feel the right way. And I'm going to tell you it's a very dangerous journey because before I know it, I start pursuing numbers for the sake of numbers and pride instead of just people to be loved in my life and I start to say things up here that I don't really mean because I'm afraid of being truthful or honest, or I start to do things with my week and pushing aside my family because there's more ministry to be done, there's more people to call, and there's more people to love, right? Like, those type of things will always creep in. And that's my life. Your life is different. But at the end of the day, what I love and what I want to rest in today and what I want to focus on quickly as we go through these, quickly in a slowdown series, how dare I? What I will do at an adequate pace (laughs) is talk about how Jesus doesn't care about influence. Now, does God appoint the the leaders and the government, the principalities? Yes, like he's in control. He's not like, I don't know what to do with these politicians, (laughs) which we feel like that sometimes. God is not helping them at all. (laughs) They need a lot of help. Uh, But but he he is present in acknowledging influence he withdraws and pushes it away and fights away. And then he does something as an antidote in the opposite way. And what does he do? He serves. So today, we're killing influence and we're going to serve. And this isn't serving for the sake of getting influence. Dale Carnegie wrote this book. I, I, I messed up the time and Nathan Webb corrected me. He wrote this in the 30s. It's called How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's a very famous book. And one of the quotes he said that really rubbed me wrong was he said, the rare individual who unselfishly tries to serve others has an enormous advantage. Even people who try to unselfishly serve others are still doing it for themselves. You still do things because you will like the way that people think about you. Or your pastor will give you a pat on the back and be like, wow, you did that thing. Good job. I'm so proud of you. But at the end of the day, those things are not to be done for any reason other than the fact that God has done a great service for us. And we have to root ourselves in that belief. So I'm going to go through seven small vignettes of this occurring in Jesus' ministry. Either he's pushing away influence or he's bringing in the reality of unconditionally serving. And so you can try to keep up with me in your Bible, but you probably won't be able to. So... Uh, I'm just going to write, you can write them down, take notes, whatever. First one, though, before he even starts his ministry, is Matthew 4. Jesus is tested in the desert, and he's tested on three things. And this is the premise of Henry Noun's book. He says the temptation of relevance, right? Temptation of spectacle or being spectacular, and the temptation of power influence. The first temptation Jesus has, the devil says, hey, you're hungry. You've been here for 40 days. You're starving. Just make that rock into some bread. I know you can do it. And Jesus has, you know, he feeds 5,000, like he can do it. Then Jesus doesn't do it. Because Jesus is saying, I'm not just gonna be relevant in this moment, I'm not gonna be pressured in this moment to do something. I'm not a little magician. I don't just like do little tricks for you like your pony. I'm submitting to, to the Lord's will and I actually have everything I need. Which is insane because when you ask somebody who's been fasting for 40 days if they're hungry, I think they'll tell you yes. But Jesus says, nah, I'm good. I can go more. I don't need food right? And the second temptation is, well, just, all right, throw yourself off this cliff. God said he'll rescue you with his angels. Jump off this cliff and everybody will be like, oh my gosh, this guy's crazy, right? The son of God. He must be God, right? Throw yourself off this cliff. No big deal, right? Don't you, you don't trust your dad. You don't think he'll like have an eye on you and pick you up, right? And he manipulates you into thinking you take this moment of spectacle. Don't you think it'll go the way you think it'll go? And and Jesus says, I'm not putting my dad to the test. I trust in what he wants me to do and the timing of everything, which leads to the third temptation where Satan says, bow down before me and I'll give you all of it. I'll give you the world, right? People don't realize this, but Jesus knew, I'm going to have the world. Like, I'm going to win, okay? And so the temptation was, do you want it right now? Right? I'll give it to you right now. You can have it right now. They used to do this study with kids where they'd say, do you want a marshmallow now or do you want two marshmallows like 10 minutes from now? And every American kid's like, give me that marshmallow, you know? <laughs> like, we are compulsive. I'm not waiting. Who knows? 10 minutes might not come around, right? Give me that marshmallow now. But if it's way harder to say, uh, that uh, some kids would say, oh, I'll take the two in 10 minutes, right? And those are the good parents. No, I'm just kidding. But my, my daughter would be like, I'll take two now, thank you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> She'd be like haggling. How about one and a half? How about you prorate it? Uh, but you... You, you make the decision, but then they, they said it's much harder if you see the marshmallows in front of you. Like if you say, here it is, right here. Like, look at this. You're tempted. You're more tempted because you're seeing it, right? And, and Satan does it. He says, look, you have this great opportunity. Why don't you just take it? And he focuses so much on the opportunity, he's trying to make Jesus forget about his, his foundation and his values. How often do you, you get an opportunity in your life that's so good and you focus so much on it, you just forsake your whole foundation and you're like, I'm going to make that decision because I want that right? I have that for that moment of whatever I'll feel in that thing. I want to buy that even though I can't afford it. I want to sleep with that person even though I shouldn't. I want to take this job even though I know it'll forsake my family and my priorities and my hours and my emotional stress and I'll probably have to do skeevy things in this job, but it's an opportunity to get what I really want and I'll take it, right? Jesus says no to all these things. He starts off before even public in his ministry saying, I'm going to show you real quick how a true leader handles these three temptations and what you do with them. And every time he quotes scripture and he's secure in who he is and he's secure because he's been fasting for 40 days. Most people, forget this, people think, oh man, like what a terrible thing, right? You've been fasting for 40 days. If you were able to fast for 40 days, you tell me that that 40th day, you're not like in just like, yeah, you're, you're exhausted and you're super hungry, but like you're a spiritual rock, You've been in prayer. Brandon Manning took a three-week silence retreat in a cabin. What a crazy guy. He was clearly introverted, but he didn't talk for like 21 days. And, and, and you tell me, who, when was he stronger, day one or day 21? Jesus was at the height of his strength through fasting, like Paul was talking about, right? It makes you weak, but in some ways it doesn't. It reminds you where your source comes from, and you feel at every moment you have a hunger pain. And so Jesus says no to the bad things of the world, trusting in the plan the Father has for him. The second vignette we see is in John 6, where Jesus does feed 5,000 with bread. He does make bread happen. And he does do it for the sake of people. But what happens, this is his largest crowd in the height of his ministry. He's the fastest growing church in America on Outreach 100 magazine, right? Good for him. They can't even turn away people. They're just showing up everywhere. They got all the lights and the the really awesome, sexy worship and the great teaching that makes you cry and laugh at the same time. And, and there's grow, a fast-growing church. And then they saw the miraculous sign that Jesus performed. They begin to say to one another, this is certainly the prophet who has come into the world. And then Jesus, because he knew that they were going to come and seize him by force to make him king, what does he do? He starts a massive capital campaign and raises $25 million for 10 more buildings. No. <laughs> he doesn't do that, sorry. He withdraws. He leaves. Why? Because he doesn't let influence catch up to him. He's, wa- he's walking influence like a dog on a leash, not the other way around. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. We're getting ahead of ourselves here. Our job is to think like that. What are the ways that I'm craving and I'm getting fed inappropriate earthly things that are building a security to me that's not true and, and it's not real? even though for the moment it feels great Jesus withdraws from the greatest most influential moment of ministry probably in his three year career I mean think about it I know two pastors who did this Francis Chan if you know of him started this church the big thing everybody loves Francis Chan here I mean you who doesn't right I mean gosh he spoke at Facebook right and and then he leaves all this and now he's in like Asia doing ministry somewhere I don't even no one even really knows where he is I guess Uh, and he just like because he's like this thing that's created is just all around me it's just not it's not making kingdom impact it's just about me and another guy who maybe you've heard of who we've talked about recently John Mark Comer similar story his was a little more personality based he just was exhausted by just pouring himself out but they were growing mega church all these campuses he's like I'm done with this let me just pastor this small church in the urban area and both of them are doing incredibly well in fact I I respect and love both of them deeply I, could, I, could, I don't even have enough fingers to count the amount of guys who did the opposite. And where are they at now? Bad places. Some of them are hiding on their yachts. Some of them are, are, are trying to heal through years of ruining their marriage or their family or stealing money. They're in lawsuits. Some of them are beating up people in the news recently. Like, not good things. And in those moments, those small moments, they're not thinking, I'm going to take this influence, like, boost." And then I'm going to go end up punching someone in 10 years. Nobody thinks like that. You don't think like that, right? You take that little, in, that little security sort of feeling you get from that person who's not your spouse, and you think, it's no big deal, right? Like, it's not a big deal. I didn't sleep with them. I didn't, like, take their clothes off with my eyes. Like, it's no big deal. They just said a really nice thing that I really, really appreciate, and I kind of want more of. But it's not that big of a deal, right? If we're not aware of the things that we're pining after, right? If we're not like Jesus and we say, I know what's going to happen. I need to remove myself from the situation. We would end up like any other person who wants to be a king in the way that the world treats kings. A little bit later, uh, the disciples, uh, this is at the end of their ministry. They're going into Jerusalem and they're for Jesus' final week of ministry. So they've been with him for two and a half years. They're almost graduated from the ministry of Jesus. And they're arguing on the way about who will be the best who the, like the right-hand man of Jesus, which is just total failure on their part of like not hearing anything Jesus had to say. But they're arguing about who be right, hand or left, hand right, and uh, Jesus hears it and he says to them, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, meaning the people of the world, the people of the world who don't care about me, They lorded over them, and those in high positions used their authority over them, but it is not this way among you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of all. And here we go. If you want to think of one line today that puts this in perspective, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's Mark 10. 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That is Jesus' ethos. I mean, that's, like, that's what he's here for. He does it in his ministry. He does it in his death. He's here to serve. If there's one thing that Christians should be known for, it is giving our lives to serve others. It's just serving. It's giving our lives away. And it's giving our lives in such a way that we're able to show We're not consumed with being the best. We're not consumed with being first. We we make ourselves a servant to others for the sake of others. And then at the end of that little trip, they hit Jerusalem. This is in John 12, and this is what we call Palm Sunday, the triumphant entry. It's when Jesus enters into Jerusalem. People lay down the palm branches. And I've talked about this before, but they go into the the least cool gate of the whole city. They go into the small side gate called the East Gate. Jesus is riding on a donkey, which is as insignificant as it is now, no offense to donkey lovers, but they're not a horse, okay? You don't watch donkey races, okay? You watch horse races. You don't fight with donkeys. You fight with horses and chariots. And so just weeks prior, Pilate had come in with a bunch of horses and soldiers through the main gate with a big old celebration. Look how great I am. Look how great Rome is. And Jesus like, do, 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 through the east gate. And, 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 and everyone behind him is like, you know, the riffraff of society. Like people on crutches, People who are leprosy, people who like can't talk, people who are poor, like just the like most unattractive group of people that you could think of, and there they go into the side gate, right? It's like and people are like weeping and crying, right? But those aren't those aren't powerful, influential people. Those are like the poor people who are desperate. The powerful people are sitting at a view, being like, "What's up, this guy, up to?" And what they do is they literally the Gentiles are like, "Who is this guy? Tell me about him. I want to talk to him." And Jesus says this, he responds to them, The one who loves his life destroys it, but the one who hates his life in this world guards it for eternal life. If anyone wants to serve me, he must follow me. And where I am, my servant will be too. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor them. I don't know if you've used this phrase. I mean, we talk about following Jesus a lot, but following Jesus and serving Jesus are the same thing. They're synonymous in one another. And it says, wherever you serve, there I am with you. It is, it is through our footsteps of following Jesus that we do the things of Jesus, and we do the things of Jesus by loving the least of these, which the least of these are the people around us that are marginalized, that are poor, that have nothing to give us back. I think about that with my daughter. We'll give her a snack, and you know, we teach her to share Say Gilmore's share, that's one of our values. Gilmore's share, and she knows it, but there's sometimes she doesn't want to share. And what's funny is sometimes I've started this thing where I'll just take the dad tax, be like, here's your bar, and I'll just take a bite off it, and then here you go. And it's like making her be like, this is your life. I own this bar, come on, you know? You only ever get 80% just to show you. I don't even want the bar. I'm just trying to show the principal, right? But what's better is instead of me just doing that, I give her the bar, and I say, hey, Daddy would really love a piece. Would you be willing to share, right? And... Sometimes she's like, yes. Sometimes she's like, no. And the cutest thing happened, we were with our our neighbors. We went out to this park, and we um, had this dinner, and she really wanted M&M's. M's M's is what she calls them, her favorite. I give her a quarter or whatever. She gets these M&M's. She's got, like, six or seven M&M's. And I say, hey, how about we go share those with our our friends? And so we go back to the table, and so she starts, like, you know, giving everybody an M&M, right? And I'm like, take the M&M, like, even if you don't want it, you know, teacher sharing. And it gets to the point where she's got, like, one M&M left, basically. Like, she gave, basically, all of her M&Ms away. And, and she doesn't even really necessarily realize it, because in the moment, it's just like, this is what I do. This is what I do. And then she's, she's like, well, I got one M&M left. Like, and eats it, and is pumped, and is satisfied, right? And I think in the same way, like, this is how Jesus works. When you're around him enough, when you understand his love the most, he gives it all away, and the only thing you can do, you're ruined by it. And you just want to do the same thing. You think, man, people have been so good to me. People have served me so well. Jesus has served me so well. How can I not pour out my life for the sake of others? Because all of this doesn't really matter. If I get moments of being around people, if I get moments of loving them, if I get moments of good conversation, I'll do whatever I can to make this happen. That's what we do. And then we do it like Jesus did. He did it knowing that people will reject him as well. He does the thing not not based on what will happen because of it. Right? And that's really hard for us. Some of you um, are like, a, maybe you're a two on the Enneagram, or you consider yourself someone who has, doesn't have good boundaries. You're like, I'll just help anyone all the time, even if I fry myself. Right? I'm like a shell of a human, and someone texts me, and I'll, I'll, I'll go do whatever. Right? And you actually have the same problem as the people who don't serve. Right? Sometimes you overserve because you're not secure, in Jesus just having you rest, and Jesus being in control. And so Jesus has this beautiful balance of serving and ministering to people, and that's his his core identity, but he never forsakes the Father pouring into him in in relationship to that. And so there's this beautiful um, moments we see this, and he models this. The next one in in, uh, number five is the thief on the cross. I just think about this story, and it's so powerful. Imagine you going to your neighbor and sharing the gospel. Now imagine doing that while you're hanging on a cross. (laughs) Pretty hard. I don't think I'd want to do that. I think I'd be pretty distracted by the pain. But Jesus does that. His last few moments, they try to tempt him to come down off the cross. They say, well, if you're really the king, man, show yourself. Give us... And I'd be like, yeah, I'll show you and just get down there and punch them both in the face, right? That's what I would do. That's what I would do. That's the alternate ending of the story. You want to make a movie on that? Copyright that. But he doesn't do that. No, he stays on the cross. He dies. And right before he dies, he brings another man into the kingdom with him through the faith that me not getting off this cross is the way that I need to do this. He serves even up to his last breath. I think about number six, his last night with the disciples. That whole night is him knowing this is my last night with people. What do I do? I'm going to serve them. I'm going to prepare a meal. I'm going I'm I'm to show them what it means to be hospitable through food and my sacrifice of my body. I'm going to serve them through the reality of the bread and the cup, the body. And then I'm going to wash their feet. And then I'm going to give them teaching about all these things that I want to impart on them. And his most famous verse in that John chapter 13 is, I give you this new commandment, and this new commandment is to love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also to love one another. Everyone will know that you are my disciples by this, if you love one another. This is the greatest apologetic in the world. We don't love so that people will see Jesus and become Christians. We love because Jesus loved us. People will see it and notice it, and it's infectious. But we don't do it for that. We do it out of the love that Jesus has love for us. And this closes with my last story, number seven, which I think is one of the greatest. This is in uh, John 21. And in John 21, um, it centers on Peter. Peter's like the number one apostle. If you're like trying to read through the story, he's probably the right-hand man of Jesus. But he's a big go-getter, big passion guy, big dream guy, not a doer, right? He says yes to things and then falls through. And just before this, um, the story he had said, I'll never... Never abandon you, Jesus, like I'll die for you. And then four hours later, he like runs away, right? And then he's being interrogated by this little slave girl around a fire, and he's so he's like terrified to be associated with Jesus and you know the rooster crows, and he realizes, wow, I just betrayed Jesus three times. And he's devastated. Jesus dies, he resurrects, and then he encounters them on this lake, and Jesus is like, Oh my gosh, it's Jesus. And he jumps out of the boat and he swims to him, and they have this little fire. With charcoal, charcoal fire here, and they kind of Jesus restores him. And that's what Jesus is in the ministry of. He's restoring us. He's taking our sin and he's he's washing it clean. He's making it right, right? And he does that with Peter, and he does that by asking him three more times, do you love me? And giving Peter the opportunity to say, Yes, of course. And he does, he says, Simon, do you love me? And Simon and Simon's like, Yes, of course. Simon Peter. Yes, of course, Jesus. Simon, do you love me? Yes, of course. All right, well, then feed my sheep, shepherd my people, do ministry, like, like lead a life of the gospel, right? The third one, five, time he asks him, do you love me? And Peter's frustrated. He says, Lord, you know everything, and you know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. And then Jesus says this line that a lot of times we don't really understand and we miss. And he says, I tell you the solemn truth, Peter. When you were young, you did whatever you wanted. You tied your clothes around you, and you went wherever you wanted. And when you were old, though, you will stretch out your hands and others will tie you up. They will bring you where you do not want to go. And, and now Jesus said this to indicate clearly what kind of death Peter was going to have. And after Jesus said this, Jesus told Peter one more time, follow me. Jesus restores him from his sin, right? He restores him back up to this status where G- Peter is the rock of the church. You're sitting in the chairs today because of Peter. And, and he gives him this, this, this commission, right? But he says, here's the thing, before you go do this, let me just tell you what you're in for. What you're in for is a life where you don't get to pick. Where you relinquish the control, you relinquish the power and the influence, you relinquish the spectacle, you you relinquish the relevancy and the popularity, people are going to hate you, and you're going to get killed for it, and you're going to go where you don't want to go. But what we miss is that this is spiritual maturity. Some of the most spiritually mature people I know are people who are willing to be led where they'd rather not go. They'd be, it's wild, and I don't know if you knew this when you sign, if you signed up to follow Jesus. I don't know if they told you this, but I'm here to tell you that that's what it is. If you have kids, that's your life. You're you're going where you don't want to go. You're doing things you don't want to do for at least 20 years, maybe more if they live in your basement. But you're you're doing that, right? And so when we follow Jesus in the way of serving Him, we are signing up to be led rather than to lead. And this is the essence of slowing down. And so as we wrap up and I invite Nick up here Um, I want us to process through that and uh, there's a great story by Henry Nowen that I talked about in the book, he bookends the front and the back of the book with this story about how he was asked to speak in Washington D.C. at this really prominent conference or banquet thing as he often would, he was a great speaker and instead of, he was praying about instead of going alone he decided I'm going to bring someone with me Jesus always has someone with him, I'm going to bring someone with me so he gets permission from La Arc which is the home that he was at uh, the Mental Handicapped Special Needs Home, and he get, he's able to bring someone with him. His name's Bill, and, and he says, Bill, we're going to do this together, and Bill's, like, pumped, and, and even Henry's like, I don't know what that means, but I want him to be a part of this. I feel like he needs to be a part of this. They fly out to D.C., Henry now goes up to give his speech, and he goes up, you know, around applause, he starts talking, and then all of a sudden, Bill comes up from the stage and stands right behind him, you know, like, I'm doing this with you, Right? why not? So Henry's like talking, you know, and he's standing right behind him, and then as Henry's like switching over his notes, like Bill's taking him and putting him on the table, like being a great helper, right? And then at the end of the, the speech, everyone's clapping around of applause and all that, Bill asks Henry like, hey, can I share a few words? You know, and, I mean, you're at like a really prominent banquet. I wouldn't, I mean, if, if I was with someone who was like the keynote speaker, I wouldn't be like, hey, let me like get a few words in here real quick, right? So immediately you're like, oh man, right? Like, I'm in front of all these people. I'm this prominent person. They asked me to come here to talk. Am I gonna let someone else take the microphone? I never know, you have no idea what Bill's gonna say. And long story short, I don't have time to read it, but Bill just was like, thanks for letting me be here. It was great, right? He crushed it, he did amazing. And Henry talks about how Bill in that moment changed the whole room. How everybody had this like lightness to them, they were engaging and just this like family-like kind of meeting where everyone just felt associated together in this unity through what Bill did. And Henry on the end of the journey just talks about how Bill had done more for Henry than, he, than Henry really even did for Bill. And I think about that in our lives. Are there people in our lives that we have, that we have just pushed away because we're afraid of what they might do or we're, we're, we're afraid they're not going to help us get up that ladder of whatever it is, the social ladder, the career ladder, right? And at the end of the day, it just doesn't really matter, Henry was, is a great example because, he, I mean, he, my gosh, he could have been president of Harvard by eventually, right? Like he just was so renowned. And instead he chose, and most people would say, to waste his, the last 10 years of his life. So for us, the last question I, I want to ask and I want you to ruminate on is are we willing to forsake our relevance, our popularity, and our power and influence for the sake of being led by Jesus? Are we willing to learn, lean into serving Jesus by serving others? Do we actually believe at the forefront of our heart and our affections that serving others is the gospel? Are we actually living out that belief in our lives? Or are we letting hurry and growth and influence get in the way of this calming, slowing, non-reciprocating love with which we can show others through serving? So we'll give you some time to process through that question. The second question then that's practical is just what, what can I do then to serve? How can I serve? Obviously, we're a church. We always have people that we would love to have serve on Sundays, but it doesn't stop there. We currently have a lot of babies being made, which is great, um, which means that we got a lot of meal trains, which means that we need people to fill swats. So I'm just going to encourage you. There's a link on the QR code. Everything else, there's meal trains at the bottom. We need you to sign up for meals. If you can't cook, learn how to cook. If you don't want to learn how to cook, DoorDash is great. People will never object to that, right? But serve our community, love our people, even if you get nothing in return. That's the point. That's stepping into steps of the gospel for other people. Uh, And so as we take a time of formation, process through that, maybe sign up for a meal train. Um, We have the breading cup up front. If you believe in Jesus, that's that's a reminder of the serving sacrifice that he gave for us. We also believe giving is an act of serving, right? It's giving back to God what is his through obedience and worship and faith. And then lastly, we have people in the back who'd love to pray for you and are here for you. And so we'll give you some time to process through that. And we actually have two songs today, so we're going to jump into one somewhat quickly. So if you want to just sit and process or do any of that during the song, you're totally welcome to do that. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.